Hey everyone, before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that I created a new fun little resource for you. If you've been here before, you know that I love creating stuff in Canva and I also love reading and listening to books. And what I created is my ultimate guide to my top four books related to creativity and healing that I wish I would have read in grad school. So I called it the Innovative Therapist Book Guide. It's totally free. It's going to guide you through my top four books. I bet maybe one you'll be expecting, but I bet some of the other ones you'll be pretty surprised about. So uh, yeah, I'd love to hear what your guesses were and what you ended up thinking of my top four books that I'd recommend you read. If you want to think outside the box, think innovatively about human relationships and how we can heal ourselves and heal the world. So grab it for free at drhondorp.com forward slash books. That's D-R-H-O-N-D-O-R-P.com forward slash books. And I can't wait to hear what you think. All right, let's dive into the episode. Hi, this is Dr. Sean Hondorp, clinical psychologist and health behavior expert. And this is the Motivation Made Easy podcast. Each week, I'll be bringing you science-backed information, strategies, and inspiration to master your relationship with food so that you can feel in control of your habits, respect your body, and free your mind to focus on the things in life that truly matter. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I've had years of experience doing research and patient care in the field of weight management and eating disorders. So I've had the insider view on understanding what works and what we're getting very, very wrong. In this podcast, you'll find practical information and tips based on motivation science, interviews from experts, and stories from real people and how they've navigated their relationship with food. My goal is to empower you with information, inspire you to make changes that fit you, and feel 100% supported along the way. So settle in and make yourself comfortable and get excited to learn and take action for a better, healthier, more energized life. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Today's conversation was really special. I met Sammy by accident. I just went to a local event that she ran here in Grand Rapids and I just was like, yeah, we have to have her on the podcast. Um, Sammy is a running coach. She is very dedicated to inclusivity around sports, movement, running, and, and just making it more accessible to more people. She is very passionate about cycle syncing and helping women specifically understand and work with their bodies. And I really think one of the most special things that so many people are drawn to about Sammy is her openness and authenticity about her journey. Really, in many ways, she tells her story in this podcast, and I'm going to get right to it really soon. But you're going to notice how, in many ways, there's a lot of things that she's gone through in the past few years that are relatively recent of her really pushing herself out of her comfort zone. And she's really open about that. And I think it's a perfect example of what we talk about on this podcast, which is 
when we build trust with ourselves, when we find the right support, everything can change for us and it can change for so many other people because Sammy's clearly doing her own healing work. She's helping so many people feel more connected with themselves, more connected with their bodies, more connected with sport. And it's really inspiring to be around. I think you're going to love this conversation. We cover her experiences with difficulties with mental health, disordered eating, a poor relationship with exercise and running. And we also, you know, very importantly, we talk about her experiences with career dissatisfaction, but also with coming out and the impact of not living her truth and how that was impacting her. We talk a lot about inclusivity and running in sport. And we definitely cover cycle syncing, which is something that is pretty fascinating and I think really important for all people to know, not just women. Something that we need to know to support women to do incredible work in the world and take wonderful care of themselves. So without further ado, this is a good one. I can't wait for you to hear it. Also, if you are a therapist, dietitian, or helping professional and you work with people with disordered eating or who are struggling with eating and weight concerns, uh, I have a free tool for you that I had way too much fun developing. So I, I developed this after a workshop we did recently. And um, to be honest, I don't exactly know how many people listen to this podcast that are professionals versus individuals. So uh, I'll be excited to, if you are a professional listening to this podcast, feel free to shoot me an email or say hello. Um, but if you're someone who you've been working with a client and maybe a client says something like, I really like intuitive eating, but I ultimately really want to lose weight, or in your opinion, they just, they have a hard time not focusing on weight loss and you notice it kind of gets in the way of them doing what they want to do or getting in touch with their body. And as a professional, you're not necessarily sure the best ways to guide them because maybe you understand why they want to lose weight, but you're also, um, you want the best for them and you want them to build up their own self-trust, but you're not sure what to do. You might empathize with them. You might tell them the science about dieting and weight loss and um, trying to convince them to not to diet. But ultimately, you might feel a little bit stuck. So how can you help them explore what's right for them without imposing your own agenda, which tends to backfire. So I created this free step-by-step guide to walk you through my number one favorite exercise. This is based on internal family systems theory, my favorite thing. Um, And it helps you help your clients navigate this nuanced dynamic with the different parts of them that still want to lose weight. So as a professional, it's my favorite way to help clients build trust while also taking the pressure off of me as a professional to know the exact right advice to give or say. So it's a really great tool. It's a win-win. You can grab it for free and exactly how to do it at drhondorp.com forward slash parts, P-A-R-T-S. So grab it for free today at drhondorp.com forward slash parts. And if you use it with a client, make sure you email me and let me know. All right. And just as a reminder, this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and should never be construed as any form of professional advice. If you need a professional to guide you, please, please get one. All right, everyone, let's dive in. All right. Welcome back to the Motivation Made Easy podcast. I am very excited for this conversation today. It's in person. It's with 
someone that I met recently, but I'm really passionate about the topics we're going to talk about today, and so is she. So I have Sammy B here with me today in the live Ada podcast studio, which just feels very official for both of us, I think. <laughs> it's just I fun. feel super official here. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're doing the thing. So we're going to have a great conversation, and uh, welcome, Sammy. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yes, this is an official setup here. I'm I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be good. So Sam, we're going to talk about a couple different things today. But before we dive into those topics, can you just tell us a little bit about your story? Or as much as you want to tell. <laughs> yes, yes, I'd love to. I'm excited to, to share today. I have had a, a, a long, windy little road that got me here to talk about what we're going to talk about today. But Really, where that started for me was this relationship to running. I'm a I'm an athlete. I've been an athlete most of my life, but I wasn't an endurance runner until after college. I was looking for something to kind of spark, you know, that love for moving my body. I was a soccer player, and when I went to college, I just I wasn't on a team, and I lost that. And so, got into running. It was the only thing I really knew how to do, but I didn't really know how to do it. Uh, there's a difference between just going out and running, you know, in sport, and then running for you know, endurance. So I did a lot of things wrong for about 10 years uh, as a runner and I learned a lot along the way. And also just what information was out there too, education wise of how we train and move our bodies. And it was very uh, focused on male physiology. And there was no information out there for women really about how to train with our cycles and how to move our bodies and optimize our own health. Because Everything that was out there, research that was saying, okay, this is the formula for success if you want to be an athlete, was all male-driven research. And so a lot of the information that I was finding online at the time was helpful to a certain degree until I started experiencing rigidity, a poor relationship with food. I didn't know how to fuel properly. And what turned out to be one of the most amazing things in my life started to turn into a chore and something I was really resenting. But outwardly was struggling kind of with my mental health at the time too. This thing, this love for running and this thing I was committing myself to in all these races I was doing was getting me a lot of attention with my friends and family and new friends that I was meeting in the community. And so I felt this attachment, this like codependency to running and really found myself into a swirly mess, not only mentally, but physically too. And ended up, yeah, kind of just having to navigate that. And I was like, you know what? I want to, I want to learn more about this. There's got to be a better way. And I don't want to feel this way about something I love so much. So it really motivated me to, to educate and learn more. And as more information came out, especially now, kind of propelled me into this, this space to help other women too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as I was, as I mentioned, I listened to one of your podcast interviews before this, and it seems like running was something you kind of fell into because you were searching for something to help you kind of get that connection with movement and exercise. I'm curious, how was your relationship with food before like the running, endurance running started? Yeah, it was honestly, it was pretty healthy. Um, growing up in my house, it was, you know, we, we grew up kind of with the, the fast paced lifestyle of like quick foods. And mm -hmm. my, I just grew up with my mom and I have two sisters. So, you know, single parent was, we were kind of fending for ourselves. And I just kind of ate whatever. And I worked at McDonald's when I was like 14. And honestly, mm -hmm. like just anything, I would, you know, whatever felt good, we ate when my mom cooked healthy meals for us. But mm -hmm. um, a lot of it was really quick pace. And I didn't think anything of it. Honestly, I was in soccer, I'm running all the time, wasn't thinking yeah. about it. 
I did lose a, a lot of weight in high school when I got into sports because I didn't know how to eat. So that was one thing that my mom had to like kind of be like, oh, we got to, you know, get her more food. And so really she was just like, eat whatever you want, whenever you want, because I was always mm-hmm. so active. Mm-hmm. And I did, that never clicked to me until later in high school when I started to put on some weight. And that felt mm-hmm. really, I was going through, my hormones were, you know, starting to kick in and yeah. going through puberty and all of these things. And that felt really uncomfortable in my body. And the image of what I saw pretty women looking like was skinny. Mm-hmm. And so I remember I went on my first diet in my senior year of high school and didn't tell anybody. I just, my mom was just, you know, kind of working and trying to like manage the household. And I always made a lot of my own meals. And so I didn't tell anybody. I was just like, yeah, I'm just going to eat cottage cheese and chicken, you know, pretty much for dinner. And that's Mm going to be my only thing. And every now and again on the weekends, I would, you know, be a normal teenager and and eat McDonald's and all the other things. But I remember that was really profound for me to think, like, this is what I have to do to to be pretty and to to fit in, and it's cottage cheese and chicken breast. Yeah, where I got that, I don't know. It's just low carbs, I think maybe. Yeah, just the things I used to think were like really neat. I'm drinking pop only, so it's low fat. Like, yes. What? Yeah. What on earth was I? What? <laughs> yeah, the diet sodas and all that stuff, and you know, really grew up in that. Like, I think that Atkins diet was really big. And my mom went on that. My mom would go in and out of of different diets herself. And I think observing that made me think, oh yeah, that's kind of just like what we do. Yeah. So not necessarily a real, like super disordered relationship with food prior to running. Although you had some of the, what unfortunately is normal, like for many girls, which is just like, oh, I've just adopted these, this really restrictive eating patterns. No big deal. I'm just doing this. So that kind of was a blip, it sounds like. But overall, prior to finding running, relationship with food is decent. Yeah, it was pretty decent. And then I went to college and I really had to truly, truly fend for myself and buy my own groceries. And I went I went crazy. I was like, oh, I'm going to party. I'm going to eat whatever I want. Like I have all this money, you know, quote unquote, this money because I had student loans, which is also just another point of contention for me. But yeah, I just kind of went went crazy and I put on a bunch of weight in college and, you know, they call it the freshman 15 and mm-hmm. rightfully so. It's about what happened. And I felt even just, just more disconnected from my body and I didn't know mm-hmm. what to do. And that's kind of where post-college I said, you know, I got to do something. I don't feel good. And okay. running was the, the thing that was there. But yes, it was paired and met with that I need to also eat in a deficit and eat quote unquote healthy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that was part of the allure of it part of it and then you found sounds like kind of the some of the mental benefits so and it sounds like and maybe I'm jumping ahead but you you're like ooh, people are I'm getting a lot of accolades like I got to do this better and better and better and that kind of got out of control yeah yeah it really like I started dropping weight I was starting to feel like oh like after I got through the first training cycles like oh this is getting a little easier and it it felt really rewarding it felt really good to feel like I was good at something because even at that time, I think my mental health was was so in question. You know, I was battling this identity of career and, you know, thinking about what I want to do the rest of my life and had to make the decision at such a young age when I wasn't prepared to, but I committed to something. And when I commit to something, I'm the type of person that's like, that's it. And I latch on to that thing because I'm like, that's what I claimed is mine. And so I have to show up in that way. Mm-hmm. And so running was this outlet for me to kind of, quote unquote, run away from that. And escape this this reality that I had created that I was like, I don't know if I can bear this the rest of my life. And so when I would get the, you know, positive feelings, not only just physical ones from running, but also from my community and my, my support group, it was like, well, that I, again, I'm committed to this thing. I'm latching on hard. Mm-hmm. When I started to lose the weight and get the compliments, oh my gosh, you look so skinny. You look this way. 
it was like, oh, well, I got to run more and eat less because I can get skinnier and I can get, you know, I can look better and I can get faster. And I thought that's how it worked. I didn't realize our bodies at some point go, this doesn't work anymore. Yeah. Um, like, yeah. No, thanks. Yeah. Shutting yep. me down. Yep. So you were kind of running to escape some painful stuff, like just this reality of like, life's not feeling good to me, if I'm really honest. Is that right? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. What wasn't feeling good? Ah, uh, so many things. Uh, out of was out of alignment with my career. I I got a, r- a really amazing job right out of college. Um, but after a while, I was just realizing like it was so out of alignment with what I love to do and my passion. And I really I love being an athlete. I love being around other athletes and challenging and testing my body. But to me, my brain never went in this space of being like you could you could study that further or you could find a job in that area further. Like that's not lucrative in my brain. It was just this, this story of how I observed success. Mm-hmm. And so I was battling not only that identity, but I was also battling I was, – I was closeted and I was getting ready to kind of face this reality, but I didn't know how. And I was just convincing myself that this wasn't my truth and it was not possible because I never had growing up a great – positive perception of being gay. It was always met with negativity and any depiction of especially a gay woman. I didn't look like that. I didn't act like that. And so for me, it was very convincing to go, I am not that. And also I knew I wasn't going to be met with a lot of positivity within the current circle that I had. That was a story that I had created. It was a rough go during that, which we can get to, but Battling my own sexuality during that time and then also feeling misaligned with my career was really hard. I grew up in a household that was, you know, a little chaotic, but we got by, but mom was always strapped for cash. And so there was always this lack mentality in my brain too of like, well, I have to make money because I don't want to live that way like I grew up, you know, without money. I want to have the things Mm -hmm. and enjoy the things. And that really meant, okay, I have to commit to this career. And I love running, but running doesn't pay you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm stuck here. Like, stuck. I've chosen this. This is what I got to do. Yep. Yeah. And then also dating, you know, men when that wasn't exciting for me it was also like, oh, you know, maybe I'll be alone forever. And so there was three or four different really terrible stories in my brain of just my existence was pretty sad. And I didn't really talk about it. Therapy wasn't something that I had considered until a little bit later when it got pretty bad for me to the point that my friends were like, Sammy we love you so much, but we're struggling with with our friendship with you. And we're just watching you deteriorate and not only physically, but they knew mentally just my mood would be up and down and I would be, you know, really mean to some of my closest friends and family. And I didn't know where that came from. And there was also a point in my life where I was kind of using alcohol to mask that too, because it was very, you know, in your twenties, you go out on the weekend, you drink. And for me, that was like, I was living for the weekends. I was like long run on Saturday. And then I'm going out drinking and eating like crazy with my friends. And Monday comes around, it's punishment time. We don't eat. And then we run and the week we eat super healthy. So there was, it was just a four or five, six years of my life where it was just awful. <laughs> mm-hmm. And this is, yeah. So this is when you found running some benefits, but it's not Going yeah, so well I didn't have all the I don't think I had all the tools that I needed to fully use that as yeah. a, a healthy mechanism. I think at first it really was it gave me a lot of release. And then all of a sudden it became this thing that was like, it's the only good thing that I have and I have to make it look good too, even mm-hmm. if it doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So then what happened? <laughs> so yeah, that was that was pretty much my twenties, like twenty five and until I was thirty. And when I turned thirty, I you know, it's a big it's a monumental birthday mm-hmm. and I wanted to get all of my friends together, and I, I decided to do an all-inclusive uh, vacation to Cancun. I'd never really done any of these before, but I figured it might be the easiest way to get as many people as possible. But also, like, I just needed a vacation. I felt yeah. like I needed an escape. And so I was – I had transitioned out of my first career at this time, and I was working for another person. And it was a toxic situation. And so this this vacation was, like, very necessary in many ways. But also I think I was trying to make light of the fact that I was turning 30, but I was terrified to death. I mean – I was still single, still closeted. And at that point, my brain wasn't even thinking, oh, I'm going to come out or I'm, you know, I'm gay. It was still the story of I'm not. Still completely. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Dating women or dating men still. Yeah. Just in another career that I was like not finding joy in and still kind of like battling this relationship to, to food. And still hadn't really gotten help with all of that. And so when I went to Cancun, it you know, it's a party there. And I had like 12 to 15, I think, people that came, which was incredible. And I was – I felt really loved. Mm-hmm. And when we got there, I felt empty. I felt like – I was like, you know, everyone's here for me, but I don't feel like anyone's here for me. And I'm going out and drinking and we're partying and everyone's having – they're going good time, but they're not really celebrating me. And I ended up having a mental breakdown in Cancun with two of my best friends. And this would probably have been like the third or fourth one in the last couple of months where it was just like a night out of drinking and just like didn't end well at all. And I was so upset. I mean, I remember I was like just in tears bawling and my friend who was staying with me in my room, like she – consoled and comforted me but like we had a really serious talk that night it was like something's just off and I don't know what it is and I didn't know what it was at the time and now looking back on it I know all of what it was Um, but at the time it was like I didn't want to believe any of these things that I created in my life were so toxic and I was it was killing me and so I came home from that trip and I just said you know I had a lot of apologies to to share to some some friends and some friends that were there had no idea that this happened and if they listen to this they'll probably be like well I didn't know that was going on because mm-hmm. I did a really good job of hiding a lot of this there was only a few people a handful that really saw some of this and so I came home and just yeah I was like I need I need to get help I need to do something and so going in, like down the rabbit hole of therapy like I had been in and out of different like talk therapies and it wasn't successful. And that's where I kind of started because I didn't really know where else to go. But I was just online and Googling like, you know, running was this thing that I was falling out of love with. And I thought, well, maybe if I find a coach to help me learn about running, then I can use that as kind of this tool to help me navigate this thing because I know that running can make me feel happy. And so I started Googling and, you know, the algorithm does what it does. And I came across a couple different things and kind of, you know, looked at them, observed them and then put them away. And then the next day I was like on Facebook and I got served this Facebook ad from a a program called Mountains and Marathons. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. Mountains and Marathons. Like, what is that? And I find out, you know, it's this like program and it was very – at the time they were very new and so I didn't – their website was kind of unclear but it looked like they did, you know, these – basically these trips to run a mountain or run a marathon or climb a mountain in all different parts of the world. It's like, oh, that sounds really cool but that's like – I don't do that. I don't travel alone and I don't do those epic things and so Mm -hmm. I kind of just put it to rest. Well, 
my best friend at the time, Alex, was starting a, an organization called Boundless Bus, and she she was very close to me, close to my story. We've been friends since high school. And she had challenged me. She said, all right, Sammy, well, you love running so much. Why don't you find a cause that you love so much and run for that cause? And I'd never thought about running for a cause before in my life. And mental health was on the forefront of, of this for me. And I started sharing a little bit of my mental health journey on my Instagram at the time. Uh, very, very small because I was terrified of doing that. And it was starting to be really well received. I started realizing like people were like, oh, like I'm kind of experiencing so much. Thank you for sharing that. And so I found a race, one in five marathon relay. And it's a local race here in Grand Rapids and got a team together in like two weeks. And I didn't think that I would I'd be able to do that. I had no confidence that people would want to run with me, especially for mental health. But we did and we raised money. And I never felt like so light on my feet running before when I knew that I was doing it for not only myself, my own mental health, but I was just speaking my truth and asking people genuinely to, you know, stand next to me and do this thing with me and raise money for this thing that meant a lot. And then I'm in also surrounded in a community of people that are doing it for the same reason. It was just a very euphoric feeling. And so I came back and I kept getting served these ads for mountains and marathons. And I was like, okay, I just, maybe I need to like set up a call. And it felt really spammy. So I was like, I'm probably just going to get, you know, I was, I'm that person that gets duped on the internet. Like I click and I give them my credit card and I'm like, why did I do that? Next thing you know, they're stealing money from me. So I was like, yep, it's probably going to be one of those, but whatever. Like, So I set up a call and on the other end of this call is this Australian man named Jamin. And he starts asking me a bunch of questions. And for the first time I was like, you know what? No reservations. I'm just going to, I'm just going to do it. And he had just the best way of connecting and asking the right questions to make me feel safe and also help me open up. And I'd never been so heard and seen in my life. I'd been in therapy before. And again, just like bad experience. And this man just listened and he heard, amazing. yeah, he heard the passion in my voice about running and why I wanted to do it. And he goes, well, Sammy, he's like cute little Australian accent. He's like, we, we don't have a marathon program upcoming, but we are going to be climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. And I was like, well, Mount Kilowatt. <laughs> like, I didn't even know what it was at the time. And he was like, and so he pulls up, you know, this, all these things about Mount Kilimanjaro. And I'm like, I, I've never climbed a mountain in my life. Like I've barely left Michigan. When I go leave Michigan, I go to like, you know, sit on a beach mm-hmm. and he's like, I will send you all the information. He's like, hear me out. I think you would be perfect for this program. He's like your story in the brief, you know, time that we talked, this would be really cool. And so he sends me the brochure and it's like 15 grand. And I go, <laughs> I don't have, you know, for a woman who has lack, you know, mindset around money and, you know, all these other things, it was like, oh, 15 grand just chilling and hanging out. So, you know, I said, no, I said, absolutely not. And then I couldn't sleep the next like two weeks. I couldn't stop thinking about this thing and that conversation and how, how like, I just felt like I was understood for the first time in my life in a, in a topic that was very scary for me to talk about. I hardly understood and so I ended up calling him back and I just said, what, like, payment plans, like, what can we do? This is the point of contention for me. Like, what can we do? And he said, yeah, we'll do payment plans, like, whatever you need. We'll figure it all out. We'll, you know, we'll be on our way. Wait, I have a quick question. Yeah. It relates to this inclusivity piece and feeling seen for who you are. Yeah. Were you open with him about your sexuality struggle? Not at this time. Okay. Just no. curious. And that's actually yeah. a funny point because I ended up going through this program, which is a six-month-long program, and didn't bring – that didn't come out of me yet. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I didn't come out of me, but I, I committed the program and within the first two weeks of this program, I ended up quitting my job. Mm-hmm. I was working part-time at Apple 
as a way to make extra money for this program and ended up just working part-time at Apple and then sold all of my things and moved in with my best friend, Alex, boundless bus, Alex, and she didn't charge me rent. And yeah, I just, I kind of turned my life upside down. And when I got into this program, I really thought it was just training me physically to get to the top of this mountain. And it was way more than, I mean, this is a leadership program that dives into every life area, careers, relationships, all of these things, uh, childhood. And I was like sitting in these sessions and I'm like, oh my God, not only does this feel like a full-time job, thank God I I had the time to do it because I quit my other job because I wouldn't have been able to hold a career that I wasn't happy in and working part-time at a job and doing this program and do it well. But it was everything that I needed in that moment. I mean, it was Jamin and then his uh, co-founder, Jen, who were my mentors. And then there was seven other incredible humans that were a part of this group as well that lived all in different parts of the world. And this was before COVID and we would meet on Zoom. So we were all meeting virtually for six months until we all met together in Africa to climb the mountain together. And that was kind of, quote unquote, our graduation. In that six months, my entire world changed everything. I mean... It was, I knew I had a long road ahead of me, but the tools that they taught me and the way that they reframed how we perceive things and approach things and respond to things, and also just considering my own individual story was, I I get chills when I think about how this fell into my life and how much I needed it at that time, because I know that I probably wouldn't have made it much past 30 if I didn't find this. Um, And I came out, so I summited the mountain in January, and then I came out in June. I knew when I came home, I was, I was really, really sad. And it kind of went, fell back into a depression again. Cause I was like, Oh, the, the things that I had, the support group that I had, I can't live life without them. Like it was, it felt like I, that I needed them to be this okay. successful, happy human. And so when I came home, it was like, okay, we gotta, we gotta make some changes. But I was, you know, I was determined to, but then COVID hit like four or five weeks later. And in my brain, how I thought that I needed to make changes in my life was I just have to keep traveling and climb more mountains and get back to running. It wasn't even this thought of like, what can I do here in my community to find happiness and peace and joy? So I still had a long ways to go. But once COVID hit, that was truly the part of my healing journey that that really took me to the next level of having to sit with myself, validate myself. Uh, figure out how to take care of myself without having to, you know, have the need for the mentors and have to call the friends to distract me or, you know, and I, I kind of ran myself ragged. And all I knew what to do at that time was run. The Apple store closed. So it wasn't working. And I was living with a, a, a married couple and I didn't want to disrupt their, you know, flow of life. And they're, you know, they were married. And I was like, ah, this odd, odd woman out over here. So I really kept to myself. But that's that during that time is when I developed a pretty poor relationship with food and, and running again accidentally. Mm-hmm. I lost a ton of weight. I went vegan at that time and was undernourishing, but also like still just battling this. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, what is still wrong with me? I just went through this program. I thought I figured all these things out. And it was because I still had one major thing to face. And that was my sexuality and coming out. And so it took me from March until June to come to that. And I came out to my really good friend at the time, just one. And (laughs) honestly, the turning point for me with that was I read Glennon Doyle's uh, book, Untamed. Yeah. And just listening to her experience with all of that and how she, that love she was describing in the beginning and how they met, it was like, oh my God, what am I doing? 
And I had faced so many major fears of mine in that six months. And then during COVID, I was, you know, still facing a lot, you know, figuring out what career I wanted to kind of navigate down and get into. I was like, I can do this. I can do this. And it was terrifying, but I did it. And I cried a lot. Um, And then I came out to my family in November. So it took, you know, another four or five months for me to kind of get to that point. And it wasn't, it wasn't the easiest. There's definitely, there was definitely that first year of one accepting myself. Um, I had a lot of internalized homophobia that I uncovered a little bit later in therapy. Um, But like this reality lived in my head. This idea of who I was, it, it wasn't it wasn't there for me in real life. It was just a dream. And so when it became my reality in real life, I didn't know how to act. I didn't know what to do. And I had kind of like a rebellious, like think of like teenager. Like I almost feel like I reverted backwards a little bit. Like my emotional intelligence was there, but like all of these things, these lived experiences that you, you do when you're younger and you kind of go through, I had to like go through at the age of 31, mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. And so I had, you know, this angsty moment with my my mom and, you know, sisters and some friends. And then dating was just kind of like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm just going to go crazy and date because now I'm, I'm dating this. And I had my heart broken a couple of times. And I was trying to also reestablish this relationship with running at the time and then get into therapy for my eating disorder. And it was just swirly. I yeah. mean, those two years were the best years, but like just facing all of that at one time was heavy. Um, but somehow landed on my feet and got back into the running community in a different way. Um, which kind of, I think is maybe the next part of all of this story, but (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 I mean, thank you for sharing all of that. And it's, we're going to keep talking about your story as we go, but I wonder if that is a good segue into this idea of inclusivity in the running community as a big passion area of yours. And where did it not feel inclusive? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In so community? when I was in the middle of my leadership program, I had started a blog <clears throat> and I had a friend who was like, Hey, I think that you would really like social running. Like you talk about, you know, running is kind of a point like this is hard for you. And maybe if, you know, come to this run club. And mm-hmm. so I'll never forget that morning. I decided to go to Lion Street Tuesday morning, 6am, which I wasn't a really big morning person running at 6am was like, absolutely never. Mm-hmm. And also with other people, I was like, I had the internal dialogue. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't fast enough to be in a, a group. And so I went and I was like turned off a little bit because it felt like the, it was clicky in a way. The image was very like, it seemed like everyone was really fast, but I will say this, this group did reframe that for me in a way. It took a minute. I had an idea in my brain of what it looked like because it is what it is like looks like. Sure. Um, but the people kind of shifted that a little bit. And there was, you know, a certain group of people that kept me coming back. And I also, I think it was in a place in the leadership program where I was being literally asked, my homework was, you must face your fears. You must do the things that are uncomfortable. And so when I didn't want to go, I knew that I had to go. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of, you know, that, that polarity kind of going on of, the people seemed pretty cool, but I didn't really feel like I related to them. But also I knew I had to go because I had to face this fear. And so I kept showing up. But that has changed over the last three years. I've been going to the run club since 2019. And I recently took over as co-leader in uh, January of 2022. And it has grown in, in significant ways. But I will say specifically the running community is not very inclusive. It's coming along. There's definitely some 
leaders and, and groups out there that are trying to, you know, create this educational side of like what that really means to be inclusive and how we do that, not only with just saying it, but actually taking action. Mm-hmm. And that is what really matters. And I think that the running community is catching up, but it's not there. But within at least the community that I'm in right now, I see a lot of that work being done and it feels really good. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think it's something that probably myself, running clubs have been a big part of my life for a long time, although I'm just now getting back into them in Grand Rapids. And I think I did feel a little nervous at the beginning when I first went to my first running club in Philly. But mostly like, am I going to be fast enough? Like there's all these fast people, but there's, there really are so many barriers, I think, to people feeling safe and included. There's just the general social piece, but then the inclusivity piece, which really means like all people truly are welcome here, which is, it spans beyond running, right? Like it's this, all spaces. Yeah. If you don't explicitly say that, people don't always know that, right? Yeah. And it's like you said, it's just, it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to have people have that feeling when they show up. And it's interesting though, because I think for me, I'm like, even when you were, I'm on your email list only recently, and I'm like, oh, shoot, I didn't even realize necessarily that this didn't feel fully safe for everyone. Like when I showed up to your event the first time, I'm like, I'm here. Like I've just, I've been in running groups for years. So to me, I'm like, yeah, it's no big deal. But that's, it takes people a long time to get there. And some people have a lot more barriers to getting there than others necessarily. They do. And, you know, it's no one's fault that we, we live in our bubbles and, Mm -hmm. We get to experience life in our own ways, right? And everyone has different levels of privilege and and experiences that give them confidence to do whatever they do or how they show up in the world. And so I I came from a place of – I was really, really small and narrow-minded in my brain. Um, A lot to do with my upbringing but also I think with my own just – I was rejecting myself. And so I didn't think of anybody else a lot of the time. I was always in this victim – lens this mentality where it was like, oh, why me? Why me? And and through my healing journey and through this, you know, finding myself and speaking my truth, I have my entire mindset has shifted into like curiosity about other people and wanting to because when I came out, you know, most of it was received really, really well. Mm-hmm. But there was a lot, it was met with some hate and I have lost some people in my life because of it. And although that is heartbreaking, I I have gotten to a place where I'm okay because I don't want anyone in my life that doesn't actively choose me. But it also has motivated me so much to help other people because I have thankfully come a long way and have confidence and have privilege in a way that a lot of people don't. But I know what it was like to be that sad, lonely, you know, closeted woman lacking a lot of confidence that had her own barriers that was preventing her from being able to show up to live a healthy life. Mm -hmm. And I think about running as one of those things that's not necessarily for everybody, but it is one of the most accessible things that we have as humans to move our bodies. And if you think about our basic human needs, we need movement, we need community, we need connection. Um, And so if I can help remove some of those barriers for some people that can get them out the door, I would love to invite people into what this is, this inclusive running space truly is, because it doesn't mean that you need to be fast. You can come show up simply for the social side. You can come simply show up to walk. Um, And so I'm trying to create, help create that image a little bit. And 
it's it's hard because of what this image has been for so many years. But also, I don't know what it's like to be every single person. I know what it's like to be me. I know what it's like to be queer. Mm -hmm. I know what it's like to feel like, you know, I'm in this underrepresented group, quote unquote. But prior to that, I was always in a very well-represented group, a cis white woman. Mm -hmm. And so I have the duality kind of experience of both. And then as I have more conversations with people that are in some of these underrepresented groups and I ask them, like, I just want to know, you know, what is that like for you? Because I don't know. And what I learn is all of these things that I had would have no idea because I don't live in that experience. I live in mine. Yeah. And so I think trying to learn how to have empathy and also realizing that just because it's easy for you to show up here today, it might have taken everything in that person over there to get out the door and show up and like, I want to honor that as best yeah. as I can, because I was that girl that would have to do pep talks in the mirror before she would show up to any community thing and speak um, yeah. for the longest time of my life. Yeah. It seems like in terms of like the how there's, you know, you're talking about things openly on social media and your email, it's just stating these things, first of all, but then that openness and that curiosity and, and really it's just, growth mindset, right? It's like, mm -hmm. I'm never going to know everything and we have to continue to work to do better. It's the whole, I'm going to botch the quote, like the Maya Angelou quote, like once you know better, do better. Yes. And, and I think that that's important for anyone listening because we're all on this journey somewhere of having an opportunity to do better with inclusivity. I don't think anyone like does it perfectly. And yeah. so I'm someone who, who in the past, especially, and probably still a little bit has like a lot of shaming parts or like self-critical parts that are like how could you not know that like who, are you really that like self-focused that you didn't even realize that other people might have a harder time showing up to these events or you know probably with the, a couple of years ago with the george floyd you know incident like just being like oh my gosh i'm missing the mark everywhere <laughs> i just wanted to say that for anyone who's listening that's like you know if you have a self-shaming critical part with our parts model, we can appreciate that part and, and the role it's played and also yeah. allow it to step back and say, like, nobody is doing this perfectly. And it's a lot of room for improvement. <laughs> yes. And I think it's all about having these open conversations, right? I'm not – I have my own internal shame sometimes. It's like, oh, am I doing enough? And and I know that other people might, once they are be, become aware of some of these barriers and these things that people experience, might also feel some kind of shame. But in, in my world, I go, no shame because you didn't know. But if you're yeah. willing to be curious and you're willing to listen and you're willing to be a part of the community and hear what we all have to say, then I can't – we can't ask for anything more. Like right, once right. you have that awareness and you're, you're actively now participating in this value system that we have kind of set in this community, we are stronger together yes. um, in that way. But you don't know what you don't know until you know, which is why – I write what I write in my email newsletters and I say what I say in front of my groups now. And I still have those moments of I'm terrified and I have to practice my speeches. And a lot of people would have no idea the internal battle that I have to do half that stuff. Mm -hmm. And people that meet me today go, oh my gosh, you look like you. this is flawless for you and easy. And it's like, God, I'm shaking in my boots because I'm still that girl that I was four or five years ago that was imposter, doesn't know where she belongs, doesn't know if this is the right thing. This reality is still very scary, but there's a mission in my heart and I think it just truly comes from my own lived experience of unhappiness and finding this community was so healing. I found some of my best friends in this and I realized, okay, I have this voice now as a leader to 
educate and help other people, but I want to also stay in my lane. I don't want to assume that I can represent all of these underrepresented groups. I can't, but I can empower other people to do that too. So when I'm doing it, hopefully then some of these other people go, then I can do the same thing. Yeah. And I think that's what it's about. And I try to stay in my lane, which is, you know, LGBTQ plus inclusivity plus women. And that's where I thrive best. But I also try to thrive best as being an influencer for all of those uh, other people that are kind of out there suffering silently too. Yeah, no, I appreciate all the work that you've done before I even met you. And yeah, there's a there's a lot to be done still. As someone who's like getting back to forms of movement in my life at this phase of my life, post having kids, getting back into running. And um, ironically, not ironically, I've talked on the podcast about tap dancing. I didn't cool. tap dance growing up, but I dance. And movement is so healing and I'm experiencing it in a very even more healing way because I'm at a different phase and I have a lot of I've done a good amount of healing and I still have stuff to to do but we have to make that accessible for those that want it and it's not that you have to run or you have to tap dance certainly but some form of moving your body even if it's very slow walking or just sitting outside and having a community to go to like we have to be able to think innovatively for even just that mountains and marathon story of like that obviously is a very extreme example of how we can heal in terms of climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, but we, that should, for anyone who wants that, it should, they should be able to easily find that. And I, the, the reality is like, that's just not an easy thing for a lot of people to even just put themselves out there. But when there's all these barriers, like I don't belong here. And we talk a lot on this podcast about, sustainable autonomous motivation one of the key needs is a sense of belonging or a mm-hmm. sense of relatedness and so i think that's like we are going to talk in a minute about cycle thinking which is super important too yes <laughs> but it's like that foundation and so i'm hoping that people hear this and they're inspired to say like there's there's so much more room for this and it's it's everyone benefits um and i i mentioned before we hit record my interview with dahlia kinsey and the quote Dahlia said about um, when you queer anything, it becomes more inclusive. Mm-hmm. And I just, I'm like, it just feels true. Like, I love it. <laughs> it just feels accurate. And I think when people can experience that for themselves, it's more motivating for all of us to be like, we all belong here. And um, it feels, it feels nice for everyone. Yeah. There's space for everybody. Yeah. And there's all types of different runners or walkers and I and I was people are so ashamed to claim runner if they don't like do it consistently or they're not fast and you put shoes on you go you go for a walk you you go for a little run you're a runner I don't Mm -hmm. care you're an athlete you belong here Mm -hmm. and we will make sure that you do and if you know if that doesn't like translate over then I'm like then I'm doing something wrong yeah for sure yeah yeah and before we shift gears too, I just want to say, since we talked last, have you heard of the No Surrender Running Club? Yes. Yeah, actually, I have, I have coffee meeting with them today. You do? Weird. <laughs> yes. That's awesome. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, I ran for the first time. I heard about them last week before we met. We met, for the listeners, we met a week ago for coffee to pre, <laughs> pre-screen this conversation. But um, I ran the girl on last Saturday for a 5K. Yes. I was like, there is movement happening and... Yeah, I actually I ended up knowing someone who's the executive director of the club, but it's a super cool organization, but we need 
people to know more about these organizations. Yes. Yeah. Because they're doing great, great work in yeah. that. Um, and for the youth too. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the coolest things. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, we're hopefully going to partner on something too, which I think is amazing. But thank you for sharing that group because they're, they're big in the community right now and they need yeah. a lot of love. Yeah. And they also are plugged for what we usually talk about on this podcast is weight inclusivity, inclusivity from a body size perspective, yes. which often does get left off the inclusivity list. And No Surrender Running Club had that on their mission statement, which I was super impressed with because yes. a lot of people do not have that on the list. They, you know, weight bias being one of the like socially acceptable forms of bias. Yes. And they are, that needs to be on the list too. Oh, it's, I love that. That's so good. Yeah, good stuff. So, yeah. so should we switch gears a little bit to cycle syncing? What do you think? I uh, yeah, we covered everything we want to with the. Incl- I mean, there's. I know we could talk forever about it. Yeah, but, <laughs> but I think this also this is a good transition because I think the cycle syncing thing is, you know, about this inclusivity side of running is also this shame that you know women can feel too. So that's that's a huge yes. part of it. And women as athlete, you know, I I represent LGBTQ plus, but I represent women as well and our lived experiences in that space. And women have also had such a, I think, idea of how they're supposed to be, you know, mm-hmm. as athletes, which is quote unquote skinny and fast and all of these things and yep. really quite sexualized in the industry. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever read the book uh, by Lauren Fleshman, uh, Good yeah. for a Girl. Good for okay. a Girl. Okay. Highly recommend reading that book, but just yeah. really highlighting that kind of toxicity that a lot of women experience in sport as um, being sexualized and or, you know, like they're expected to perform at a certain point. But our bodies are conducive for the training that a lot of these male coaches or information that is out there that is very male dominant. And so it really, in my own story, when I wasn't feeling good, I mean, I lost my period for four years and got very, very skinny and my hair started to kind of fall out and nails were brittle and all of these things, sleeping really bad, anxiety was through the roof. All of that stuff I thought was because of my mental health. And I didn't really realize it had a lot to do with my overtraining and under under eating until all of a sudden I was like, oh yeah, there's this thing going on. And I was having a lot of digestive issues too. So I wasn't digesting my food. I was, you know, developing food sensitivities, hair is falling out. I mean, it was just like, again, nightmare. And so I said, this is not healthy. What do I need to do to be healthy? And I found, I came across uh, this idea of cycle syncing where we eat and train and kind of change our lifestyles on these different parts of our cycle. And at the time when I found it, this is probably like four years ago through, you know, the beginning of my journey, there wasn't a lot of information out there. And so I just started eating. I just kind of tried, tried to shift my diet a little bit, but I only did it like to a very like high level. It wasn't anything like super intense, but you know, I you know, baby steps kind of get us to the greater goals. And so it started somewhere and then more information started coming out. And I was like, gosh, I'm so fascinated by this and I want to try it on myself. And over the last four years of stuff that I've learned, and we still have a lot more to learn, I have found so much relief in all of the symptoms that I was experiencing. The food sensitivities are gone. I'm sleeping better and anxiety is, you know, pretty, pretty good for the most part. My hair started growing back, but it took, it took a couple of years. It didn't just happen overnight. And it's, I think any, with any holistic approach, it does take a little bit longer. So you have to have patience, but I was really passionate about this as I started coaching athletes, specifically women that I wanted to coach this style around, you know, cycle syncing, but there has to be education done first because 
you're not going to implement something in your life unless you believe it or you understand it. And also it's a huge ask because cycle syncing is kind of very much shifting what this typical rhythm of society, you know, living is in a 24 hour uh, rhythm. It's not, we don't live every 24 hours like men do. It's 28 to 32, 33, 34 days, Mm -hmm. um, depending on who you are. Mm -hmm. So it's a huge lifestyle shift, not only in the way that we train and eat, but then the way that we work and socialize too. And so it's not something that's a woman's just going to go, cool, I I can do that overnight. It doesn't happen that way. Yeah. Yeah. I want to highlight something you said, I think at our set, your second running event that I went to and as a plug, anyone who's in the Grand Rapids area, you should come to our monthly women in sport running events. Um, You'll learn a lot. I certainly have. And we got strength train cued to our cycle, which is is awesome. But you said something there that stuck with me and I can't remember the exact phrase, but you basically said like the ways that we're living for women is like killing women off or something. Yes. What did you say? And why, like, why is this so important? Yeah, it is essential. So what I have learned in my research and all my studies and what I'm hearing from other experts in the field right now is very true. A lot of women are experiencing very severe symptoms with their cycles, whether it's loss of cycle or hormones are out of uh, balance, infertility, and um, also some very severe mental health related issues too, where their inability to show up not only for jobs, family, life, all of those things. And suicide rates are higher too. There's there's a lot going on here and it's kind of compounding. And it's basically this idea of kind of what society's at. Like we are in a very high pace, fast living lifestyle and in this grind hustle mentality where we have to keep up. And the way that our, our brains are wired as women is we're caregivers, we're nurturers, we show up, you know, especially in a sense of when we commit to something, especially for ourselves, we do it. Kind of like back in my story where I was like, well, I said I was going to do this thing. Now now that's my identity. And so we kind of lose bits of ourselves in that process and that way of thinking and the way that society is kind of demanding this from us is like we always have to be on. And then specifically with sports or or running, a lot of women kind of, you know, lean on running as a, a modality for movement or health and uh, there's other forms of movement too, but I work with a lot of runners, so I'm going to use that as an example. But we get into training cycle, especially when we commit to something. We go, okay, well, I want to run a marathon or a half marathon, and I get in this training cycle, and we see the training plan ahead of us, and we really have to do that to the T, or I have to do that this week, or I'm not going to be successful with my race. Mm-hmm. And it's very damaging because different parts of our cycle ask for different types of uh, intensities in our movement and also very variation in the way that we train too. So if you are running, you know, there's times in our cycle where we need to cut back on our our mileage and or not run at all. And there's parts of our cycle where we can really hit it. And so if you are a woman and you're listening, you're probably going to go, yeah, I've had experiences throughout the month where I have really high energy and I feel really, really good and I feel invincible. And then there's other parts of your cycle. I call them period eyes where you're like your own worst enemy. You see something different in the mirror. You feel bloated. You feel whatever that story is inside and what you're seeing. That Those are chemicals in your brain that are creating this distorted reality. Yeah. And it's because the hormones are out of balance. And I'm not going to say that that's going to go away. But a lot of these reactions that we're having are symptoms of imbalance. 
and right. lifestyle. And then when we're trying to force ourselves into the mold that we've all been taught, which is the 24-hour cycle, right? Yes. Like I don't feel good, but I'm just going to either do my trading plan or it's just I'm going to have I have to show up. Like we're all in this world where it's like show up, be productive, do your thing. Like and I used to have a lot of like almost pride. I think a lot of us have internalized like well, I don't really have like mood changes in myself, which I did. Mm-hmm. I just was lying to myself. I'm like, well, that's not like, I'm fine. Yeah. Like I'm stronger than that. And it's like ridiculous. Like it's such a strength to have this, this cycling. And yeah, the other thing I wanted to highlight is just the trickle down effect of women not feeling physically and mentally good. Women often are like the leaders of their families and like everyone's impacted by mm-hmm. this. And that's one thing I've been thinking about a lot lately is like when one person gets freed up and feels good in their body, like the, the effect that can have in so many different areas. But yeah, I was lucky. And I think running wise, I was always like a pretty healthy relationship with running, even when I had a crappy relationship with food and pretty intuitive with running. Like I was always like, yeah, my friends are just faster. And I just was like, it's fine. Like <laughs> I, I didn't, I mean, there was times when I'd pressure myself, don't get me wrong, but it's so easy to be like, this is the way, this is the way you do it. And if I'm not, I'm bad. I'm, yeah, and we can really learn to help ourselves thrive with this awareness. And it's something that I've sort of been vaguely aware of for the last few years and came, I actually just came to your first event just because I was like, my friend Katie told me about it. I'm like, sure, why not? And sounds cool. Mm-hmm. But I had more been thinking about it with regards to work and like, even I haven't quite done it yet, but like, potentially some of my tasks like timing them to points in the month where I'm going to feel most efficient at that task and most able to do it well could be a really big game changer but it's not something that many I would say very few of us are training or eating or working in this way not many no if you're working with me you are um yeah Yeah. (laughs) but you should do it learning all at the same time right because the education is just starting to become a lot more widespread and I'm so thankful for that and I'm happy to share some resources of who I've learned from and and also always open to talk to anybody. But it's a passion in my heart because like I worked myself to the bone that I was I was literally just withering away and physically, mentally so unwell. And I I now being in the running community as I am as a leader, I talk to a lot of women and started to hear some parallels in these stories and these experiences. And there's so much shame around it. And there's so much like hesitancy for women to, to open up and be like, oh, I'm having to feel this way or I'm doing this thing. And I go, I don't mean to invalidate you, but almost every other woman is too. Yeah. And so it really inspired me to create these women in sport meetups to create a community where we can safely all kind of come together without that shame that we feel and normalize this experience that sadly shouldn't be normal, but it is because of the way that, you know, society's lifestyle is kind of asking us to show up in the world. Mm-hmm. And the only way that we can really create the change and make this more normal for everybody to live in, you know, within our own cycles is to educate. And that's not just educating women, that's educating men too, because yeah. they also need to be a part of this conversation with, you know, our work styles and also, you know, partners and all of these things, understanding yeah. like, hey, this part of my cycle, this is going to probably happen and I need to take care of myself in this way. Yeah. And it's not it's not something to be laughed at or joked about or dismissed. Like it's very serious. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not a weakness. 
it's it can be a game changer. And men, they're resetting every 24 hours. So they're great. They can get up early in the morning. They have energy for workouts. They can fast. And if you're ever wondering, ladies, why like maybe your husbands or significant others or uh, men in your life are losing weight, if you start on a diet at the same time, they're losing the weight quicker than you, this is why. Mm-hmm. You have different parts of your cycle where you need to really take care of certain things. And that weight will fall off your body and quote unquote, I I can't say that for everybody. Everyone has different, you know, physiology and Mm -hmm. other medical things going on. But in the masses, if we talk about it that way, if you are optimizing your cycle and and cycle sinking, the weight will come off, but it's going to take a little bit longer because you're going through a 28 day cycle versus a 24 hour cycle. So you can't compare yourself to men. It's just not possible. Right. It's really about looking at like root cause and helping your body optimally function and thrive, which is a very different I mean, all of the ways that I was traditionally trained to help people lose weight was like, here's your calorie goal. And it's just very rote, very like static. And uh, yeah, there's so many applications. And and that's an interesting point of just like most women who are cycling are missing this opportunity to look at our bodies in this way. Yes. And it's also, I did think about this in grad school. I went to Michigan State and I did research on eating disorders and my advisor still doing amazing work on changes across the menstrual cycle with ovarian hormones and how that influences binge eating. She just does really cool stuff. And the research does take a long time to like get into the world generally. Mm -hmm. But I remember going to grad school in a different program and being like, we're measuring eating and binge eating. We're measuring all these things, but we're never considering where people are at in their cycle. And I had like a little effort to make a change. In a pro- and I just like let it go. And mm-hmm. it's just like, I didn't really think about it for many years after. So anyways, it, and it's, it's easy to dismiss. I will yeah. say I've been on this journey for, you know, three and a half years and I took it really serious when I had some information in front of me. And then you kind of, I kind of went back to living the way that I was because That's our world. It, it's just our world. Yeah. And, yeah. and you don't, I, you can't always be thinking about these things. And I want to get to the point where I'm, I'm teaching women and also helping them understand they can do this without having to think about it. It's just second nature. It goes, okay, Mm -hmm. I've learned the patterns of my body and my cycle that I know that these nutrients are going to be great for me. This part of my, you know, training, this is the time to hit it hard. And this is the time to to go back and retreat. And I'm not going to gain 10 pounds when I take a week off or I go lighter on my workouts. I'm actually going to like lose weight, Mm -hmm. but it's unlearning all of this stuff that, you know, in our brains, not only that, like we see, you know, out in the world, but like even in Hollywood, like these ideas of what, you know, a desirable woman is, is so just skewed and foggy. And yeah, it's very damaging. It's very damaging to us individually. And which is why women are, you know, kind of in this experience, right? And we're kind of evolving ourselves out of society, which is really sad. And we were a long ways from that, but that's where we're trending towards right now. Yeah. Yeah. So we do have to shift a little bit, but let's mention a couple of resources. Of course, Finding and working with you is a wonderful option, but what other resources if people just want to like read or start to dabble in this topic, what would you recommend they yes. start with? Um, my biggest inspiration that got basically I learned everything from was Dr. Stacy Sims. Okay. She wrote a book called Roar. It's very readable. Great, especially if you're an athlete. I would say that is going to be your best resource. Mm-hmm. And then Dr. Elise Alyssa Vitti is a founder of Flow Living. And she's a great resource too. If you're not an athlete and you're just looking to kind of optimize this cycle syncing lifestyle, uh, she's got a great 
regimen online Instagram and all that. I think she's got a couple books as well too. I will also share they do have a bit of a difference in rest periods of their cycle. Stacy is very focused on the athlete and um, depending on what fitness level you're at, she's going to, you know, kind of point you in that right direction of like movement where Alyssa is kind of focusing more on your like recreational, like everyday uh, lifestyle. And so there's two cycle periods where it's like rest and they do negate each other. And if anybody wants to like learn more about that, mm-hmm. I think it totally depends on your physiology. But for me, I found a certain happy balance in that. <laughs> yeah, because so much of this is like you gave us a plan after our event. And so much of it is look at this general plan, but then it is going to be intuitive and trial and error too. So yes. like there's these broad strokes things that this may be helpful to you, but it's it's trying it and seeing and so I think yeah it's important and do those either of them talk about how it would apply for people pre and post menopause yeah they do talk about okay. that a lot which cool. i know is very yeah that's another point because that's another transition in our life as women that we our bodies are like i don't feel connected anymore what do i do with you and yeah they're yes, yes both great resources for that as well okay awesome yes sounds good and very much yes it's a template and so when you're reading this information your body is not going to be you know, just because you're, I'm a woman, we're all the same. It's not true either. Okay. Awesome. Yes. (laughs) All right. So we could talk forever, but I'm going (laughs) to move to our motivation questions uh, that we do at the end here. So uh, first is what is one thing that you have truly intrinsic motivation for? So you do it from the inherent satisfaction of the thing itself or the behavior itself because you love it or you find it challenging. What is that for you? For me, honestly, the way I've reframed running uh, lately or just movement in general, but doing it with community, I love getting a group of people together mm-hmm. and moving our bodies and socializing. So yeah. that is that is it for me. From a solo standpoint, climbing mountains. I love mm-hmm. it. There's That's something awesome. about that space in my brain where I just I, – I disappear. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Cool. And then from a should to a choose to, this is our integrated motivation question. This is something that used to be a should for you that you struggled to do consistently, but you found a way to do it more consistently, even if you don't necessarily always love it. Mm-hmm. Strength training. Uh-huh. So I have well, been. Actually, I have not found a way to do it consistently, except uh, go to your groups. But yeah. It is so good for you. And I will uh, say I a forced injury has gotten me and this is another part of the the cycle sinking thing that really was like nope I need to I need to start lifting weights and don't be afraid of the heavy weights. It was really foreign for me for a long time but this last year I've really really welcomed it into my life and mm-hmm. it has changed my life. So mm-hmm. I'm starting to love it. I know mm-hmm. I should be doing it. I'm still getting to the point of like yes, but I'm getting I'm closer to like this is this is part of it forever for me. So how have you done it this year? Um, so I went, yeah, so I got a gym membership. I signed up for a program mm-hmm. and I just started really small. I didn't really know what I was doing. Unfortunately, I had a chronic injury. It's kind of prevented me from running. And I've been working with a couple of trainers about this like intuitive movement with our body. So this brain body connection. And I've never trained like this before in my life. I used to just go to the gym and throw some things around and, you know, I'm a runner, so I didn't really know what to do, but there are certain parts of our bodies that, are conducive to running and there's certain movements that are good to like single leg things and that um, mm-hmm. nature go down a whole topic mm-hmm. of that. But yeah, this brain body connection, I think is, well, I'll leave it there. Uh, yeah. It's very important. <laughs> Maybe some of the accountability in the community, bringing that to strength training, which I also find really helpful. In fact, when I have people to do it with, I do it and I love it. Yeah. It's super easy. So that's helped you to shift it. But it sounds like also just like really getting into it, doing it and noticing like the benefits, but also 
sounds like maybe starting to appreciate and enjoy it. Yeah. Little by little, right? Like, and much. I think that's how when we shift behavior from should to choose, it's like we sometimes have to put those external supports in place to allow us to mm-hmm. really like start to love it. So, exactly. And when yeah. I know I'm training for, you know, something, I have a goal in mind or, you know, I just want to get stronger in a certain area that for me, my brain is like, this is great. I, I'm going to make sure I'm working on this muscle today and this is going to support this goal that I have over here and building on that. I'm getting there. I've been doing little bouts. That's been helping me. Good. I've been doing little amounts. I did So good for your bones. Yes. (laughs) Keep lifting. Yeah. The free Peloton app. I just do the free ones and it's, there's something about like, I need to be able to finish. So 10 minutes. I'm like, I can do 10 minutes. That's great. (laughs) Yeah. So that can help too. The main part of our mission here is to teach women to reclaim trust with their bodies so they can live more courageous and connected lives. Can you share an example or two that you're most proud of where you've been able to be more courageous or connected given your journey? Yeah. Ooh, I feel really, really proud of what I've kind of stepped into in the last year and a half as a community leader, uh, really reframing this single journey that I've been on and this just me, me, me focus and really giving that love back out into the community because I know I needed that at one point in my life, accepting all types of humans into it as well, shapes, sizes, levels, fast, slow. I'm really proud of that. And I feel like that took a lot of courage for me because it is hard for me to stand and talk in front of a bunch of people and feel really confident. I'm getting better at it. I've been taking some public speaking courses. (laughs) But I have my first speaking engagement this fall, and I'm really excited about that. I'm Ooh. nervous as, as ever. But I yeah. think my my motivation to make sure that these that people feel like they belong is what gets me up on those, you know, in front of those people and on stages and talking in front of panels. And so it's it's one of my fears, but I know I have to face it, and I feel proud of that. Yeah, it's one that I think you're aware, like people wouldn't know. So I appreciate you sharing that. You're yeah. like, I'm shaking in my boots over here. But yes. I like to try to tell people that inside I'm, I'm human too, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you're like, I don't, I'm not, you do present a pretty calm exterior. Thank you. <laughs> I was nervous about this. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I could not tell. <laughs> well, it's been awesome. So we talked a little bit about where people can connect with you, but tell them the best places to find you and we'll link to all of that. Too. Yes. I'm working on a website right now. This is mm-hmm. all like new for me. So mm-hmm. I'm excited, but I am heavily. Uh, on Instagram. So at Sammy B, it's S-A-A-M-M-I-E-B. And then um, would be happy to include anyone on my newsletter as well, too. It's just kind of random when I feel like writing. But yeah, you can DM me on Instagram and give me your email. We can stay connected there, too. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today and for this conversation. It was thank you, Sean. Really it was fun. so good to be here. I appreciate you. <laughs> yeah, you too. And before we finish today's episode, I have a really quick message from a special guest, my daughter. Please review from my mom's podcast. Make something from my mom's podcast, please. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in today. Your time is valuable, and it means so much to me that you're here. Despite the title of this podcast, many of our topics are not always easy. Change is hard, and let's face it, life and truly looking inward at ourselves can be uncomfortable. That's why I'm grateful. Grateful for you and your willingness to listen, learn, and keep an open mind. I invite you to learn more by going to drshawnhondorp.com or finding me on Instagram at psychology.of.wellness. If you're enjoying this podcast, 
it would be amazing if you could give it a review so more people can find it. Thanks, and I truly hope you have an energetic and inspired day.